Blog Talk Radio. October 10th, Monday, October 10th, 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and yes, we are here on a Monday. I'm inaugurating a transition to a new schedule And the goal here is that I'm going to be doing two shows per week, one on Monday and one on either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on what we end up working out for the schedule for the Denver station, the Denver station that High Road Producers is adding to the lineup this week. Uh, I would like to do that show live, in which case I'd be doing it on Thursday, but if I'm going to be doing it ahead of time and then have it kind of edited to to fit the format for Thursday, then I'm going to be doing it Wednesday. So stay tuned. Uh, but Monday, this time slot is one that I'm going to be doing on a regular basis. So kind of mark this in your calendars. We're going to do Monday. We're not going to do Friday. And then I'm going to add in Wednesday and or Thursday, depending on how the schedule works out. I'm going to do a show this Wednesday, and then I'm not sure uh, – exactly what's going to happen the weeks after that. So I will let you know. If you want to follow the progress of the schedule and, and really know, you know, keep what, what, what's going on, you can, of course, follow me here on Blog Talk Radio. If you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, you can become a follower of the show there. But you can also follow my blog. I have a blog at don'tletitgo.com. That's where I put the program notes and stuff. You can follow the blog sign up to get an email each time I post there. And that's probably the best way to keep in touch with me. You know, suppose I move to another platform for whatever reason. Um, I think I'm going to keep an anchor at blog talk for the foreseeable future anyway, regardless of how we end up producing shows for, for high road, but still it's always good to go to the blog of the person if you really want to follow. So you can do that. I'm also out there on social media. Some people who are involved in Twitter or Facebook, you can find me there. On Facebook, I've actually got, of course, my own page, Amy Peekoff, but then you can follow me at the Don't Let It Go On Her page there as well. Okay, so enough promo and logistics. We have a, I guess you'd call it a debate. At the end, they were calling it a town hall. Last night, not really so much a debate. So was it a debate? Was it a town hall? It didn't seem to really be either of those things. It was a really disheartening display. I found it very disheartening. I don't know if you found it quite as disheartening. You don't know if, you know, something in your mood going into it 
contributed to your sense of it, but I, you know, kind of looking at media reactions, I've got a piece from the New York Times that I posted in the program notes over at don'tletitgo.com, and it seems that the commentator there over at the Times agrees with me. Headline was, in second debate, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton spar in bitter personal terms. And actually, if you know, you kind of read that piece, the pull quote that I pulled out from it was this. The, the, the writer is Patrick Healy and Jonathan Martin, actually two writers. And they say it was a deeply ugly moment in American politics featuring the sort of personal invective rarely displayed by those who aspire to lead the nation, end quote. And I would say that's a fairly accurate summary. And so what we'll try to do today, of course, is talk about some of this. And in particular, because it really looks like it's going to be Hillary Clinton, unless we can stop Hillary Clinton. And, you know, we'll have to talk about, is it worth really trying to stop Hillary Clinton at this point? Can you do it by voting for Gary Johnson and preventing Hillary Clinton from getting to the 270? It's not clear that you can, but maybe you can. Uh, If you can, is it worth trying to do or not? What are we in for if we have a Hillary Clinton presidency? What is our survival strategy? All that kind of stuff we will talk about today. But I've got the show title, right? The show title is to just say no to the slightly lesser of two evils, 2016. And what I mean by that is given the dismal state of this election, I'm looking at either abstaining, not voting for president, you know, maybe voting down ticket, but not voting for president or perhaps voting for Gary Johnson. That's still a possibility for me. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, But, you know, in in terms of kind of coming to grips that it's going to be Hillary Clinton, that's another thing that we want to talk about. Uh, You know, one thing that struck me last night, right, you know, it's bad enough if people are on the premise of just voting for the lesser of two evils. That's a really, you know, kind of depressing, disheartening way to go into an election. But what I got, you know, the impression of last night was that everybody who is watching the debates, who's commenting on the debates, who is a moderator at these debates, and of course the candidates themselves, the entire tone and content of everything that's out there is geared towards showing which of the candidates is slightly more evil than the other. That has been the focus. And you know, whereas in the past, yeah, the voters are thinking, okay, I'm just going to vote for the lesser of two evils. There was still at least this show that each candidate was trying to say, you should vote for me because, and there's this kind of positive thing. And Hillary Clinton did give a little nod to that thing, you know, that she wanted to actually say something positive about what she would bring for the country, for the good of the country. But she was making it as a side comment, you know, oh, I want to do this, but instead we have to think about fact-checking Donald Trump because he's so bad, he's such a liar. And, you know, so again, even though there were these little nods to the idea of presenting a positive agenda, nonetheless, the whole tone, everything seemed geared toward, no, the other side is more evil than I am. And so therefore, if you want to vote for the lesser of two evils, this is the premise that we're all going to accept that you're going to vote for the lesser of two evils. You've got to vote for me. And it's really ridiculous. Tim in the chat room, welcome, Tim. He says, I was disheartened long ago 
now I'm just watching the comedy, right? And that and that is that's the attitude that I'm trying to adopt, but there's still this value orientation about, you know, again, these are the people who are presenting themselves as earning your vote, you know, supposedly trying to earn your vote for president in United States, the greatest country in world history. It is extremely disheartening to watch a display like that, that we saw uh, last night. There's a tag that was being thrown around Facebook describing it and it was blank show and I can't even fill in the blank because it was profanity but it describes it you know sometimes profanity is just really what you need but I'm not going to do it for radio Uh, John the chat room says yeah it's nice to hear of two shows we may need two shows in order to kind of make sense of, of what's going on and sort of try to keep our focus on what we can in the years to come. If you want to call in today and you want to talk about your impressions of the debate, the number to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And I do welcome your calls because I don't have a whole bunch of prepared analysis of what was going on last night, in part because I was distracted by a family event Uh, while I was kind of watching the debate out of one eye and parts of it, I did end up missing here and there. But I did have a number of takeaways about Hillary that are, of course, alarming. And none of this is very surprising that a Hillary Clinton presidency is going to be really bad for our country, that we're going to continue to go in the very wrong direction that Barack Obama has been taking us in for the last eight years. On the other hand, Donald Trump is just pathetic. I don't know that I have any other word for it. If you wanted to sum up the sort of things that Donald Trump was saying last night, here are, I don't know if you would call them highlights, you would call them a constellation of general themes or propositions that Donald Trump continues to throw out there with, uh, you know, great frequency. <laughs> you, you couldn't call it, you know, so I had an exchange with someone on Twitter, you know, can you actually provide a condensation of Trump? There is, there's nothing to condense because there is no unified program for Donald Trump. He just throws a bunch of stuff out there, all of it fairly fallacious, right? Uh, so here's Donald Trump, shorter Donald Trump, as I call it. And again, it's not giving you any sort of a unified condensation because there is no unified program that Donald Trump presents. It's this. He says, everything is a disaster. A whole bunch of the things that he said last night, everything is a disaster. Uh, Hillary has bad judgment. Yes, she's got bad judgment. So, you know, don't vote for her. Everyone loves me. All kinds of statistics and all these people endorse him. You know, these people show up at his rallies. Everyone loves him. I can fix everything. He's the guy, right? And he said that in so many words in other debates, he, he alone can fix everything. And then, of course, believe me, you're supposed to just believe him. You're supposed to take him on faith. These are recurring themes in the stream of consciousness, consciousness ramblings that you get out of Donald Trump's mouth. It was really disappointing to see how he was unable to answer some of the most basic things from Hillary Clinton. So, for example, she had said at one point, and this is just a minor example, but it's, she says, Bernie Sanders supports her 100%. 
Now, I've seen headlines, I'm sure you've seen headlines in the last week or so, talking about Bernie Sanders being a now more vocal critic of Hillary Clinton. Couldn't Trump have just brought some of that out? Well, maybe if he studied, maybe if he actually prepared for the debate, could he have prepared some sort of a statement calling her on her stuff about her emails, right? What was her answer about the emails? It was essentially no harm, no foul, that in a year of investigation, they haven't shown any hard evidence that her server was hacked. Whether her server was hacked is beside the point. Things that are relevant are whether she was adhering to proper procedure with regard to the handling of classified information, and clearly she was not. And then second of all, was she culpable for that conduct, or can she get by with just calling it a mistake? And Comey, head of the FBI, inept as he is, as you know, not willing to do the right thing as he is, he has said to Congress that Hillary Clinton lied about some of the things that she's done in conjunction with the investigation about her server. So if you know Hillary says, oh, they've found nothing wrong – couldn't you come back, Trump, with something like, well, uh, don't you think that lying to Comey or the FBI is a problem, that there's some sort of problem? But no, nobody is calling on her, you know, her on this in any major forum like a CNN town hall or whatever it is. So actually, that wasn't CNN last night. I can't remember. That was multi-network. You could see it everywhere. I forget who was hosting it. doesn't matter. Uh, I, I got confused because CNN did a little focus group after, and we will talk about that today because that's the sort of thing that we are going to have to focus on in the future as we're trying to win the battle for ideas. We need to keep the media honest, and we've got a lot of indications that the, the media just aren't being honest about this. Um, so uh, that's you know the, just one little bit about the the debate in terms of content from Hillary Clinton, things that I took away from it as alarming that, you know, if you had an actual candidate opposing Hillary Clinton, that you might consider voting for that candidate as a way to stop Hillary Clinton. She plans if she gets to appoint the justices of her choice to Supreme court, she plans to try to overturn citizens United and that has major implications for freedom of expression because Citizens United has to do with being able to spend money on speech. And if you have a right to free, you know, freedom of expression, a right to free speech, that has to include being able to spend money on that speech. Because how do you speak? You have to spend money in order to get the word out. You have to at least have an internet connection, some sort of, you know, URL that you can put up a blog or something, be able to access Facebook, right? You need to be able to spend money, not just speak. And, you know, this idea that they try to divorce speech from the spending of money is, is ridiculous. Hillary Clinton does not want people who oppose her agenda to be able to speak freely. And overturning Citizens United is a, a crucial part of that. The other thing that she talked about as a substantive issue that she wanted to be ha have handled by a Supreme Court that included her pick of justices is the issue of voters' rights. And if you watch the debate, you recall that she also bragged about going to Texas 
to make sure that she had registered a whole bunch of Hispanic voters in Texas. Why is Hillary Clinton, who had no connection to the state of Texas, going to Texas in order to specifically register Hispanic voters? Oh, it's for the sake of them. No, it's not for the sake of them. It's for the sake of entrenching Democratic leadership, leadership. We'll call it stewardship where you're, you know, putting the ship into the iceberg, so to speak. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a, a metaphor for what the Democrats are going to do to this country. She wants to make sure that what a lot of people are starting to predict is actually going to happen, which is that if she wins and you get another four or eight years of the type of so-called leadership that we've had under Barack Obama, that Democrats are going to be entrenched as the people in charge of this country for decades, for the next several decades, unless there is some radical change that we can't foresee in, you know, in terms of the ongoing trend. It's very disturbing. Yes, she supports Supreme Court justices, overturned Citizens United, uh, some sort of ruling on so-called voters' rights that makes sure that they can have a whole bunch of people, probably a lot of people who are illegal aliens, vote for Democrats for the foreseeable future and entrench them. This is very disturbing. Um, The other thing that she was talking about is the level to which they want to vet immigrants. And, of course, what Donald Trump has done is he's retreated slightly from the no Muslims, you know, a, a religious litmus test for immigrants, but instead is now saying that if you have Muslims coming from certain areas of the world or just anyone coming from certain areas of the world, like Syria, for example, that you're going to have extreme vetting, very strict vetting. Ted Cruz has exposed recently the type of so-called vetting that's happened under Barack Obama and that sometimes our you know, law enforcement agencies who are supposed to be protecting us and doing this vetting are taking the word of these migrants or refugees or whatever that we're calling them this week, just take their word on whether they pose a danger to the United States. And that is not acceptable. Hillary Clinton said something along the lines of, well, the vetting is going to be as strict as it has to be. And, you know, whatever that, you know, the way she was saying it too was not reassuring. It didn't, you know, give you any kind of confidence, particularly when you see what's already being done under Barack Obama. Thank God Ted Cruz is out there exposing this stuff. She also had some not very heartening comments about the Second Amendment, you know, that she thinks she's going to actually prevent deaths of people by having more restrictions on guns than we have now. I don't I don't see how that's going to be the case. If anything, with her plans to bring in a certain quota of so-called refugees, a quota that is going to be impossible to do any kind of adequate vetting on, we're going to need to be able to protect ourselves with our own weapons. So uh, there's that. Healthcare. She's She is obviously a, a very alarming candidate on healthcare. And during part of the debate town hall, whatever you want to call it, she went through group by group bragging about how she ended up providing on the public dime, so to speak, our tax dollars, your and my money, free health care for group by group by group, kids and these, this group and that group. 
And why is it that she did it that way? Because she learned that our country was not ready to accept socialized medicine, universal health care for all. And so she said, well, piecemeal, we can do a little bit here and a little bit there. And she knows as well as anybody else that insofar as you keep instituting more and more controls over the healthcare industry, that unless there is a radical change in the culture and the understanding about healthcare and whether there's a so-called right to healthcare, there isn't. Uh, you know, in, unless you understand that, then if you keep adding more controls and you keep taking small groups and putting them under uh, so-called single-payer programs, you're going to create more and more pressure on the health, you know, the health insurance industry, the medical, you know, medical care industry. You're going to create more and more pressure on that. And because the prices are going to increase when you've got government subsidizing parts of it and controlling this and controlling that, there's going to be pressure to have more and more government control, government regulation. What we're seeing under Obamacare is the fast track towards single payer. It's no doubt going to accelerate under Hillary Clinton. And then finally, there was a, a comment that she made a few times that really irked me. And, I, you know, is it just an irking or is there something to this? She kept she keeps talking about that she's going to be the president, not just of the people who support her and vote for her, but she's going to be everyone's president. So she's, she wants to be my president, even though I would never vote for her, never support her. And what, it, what does she mean by that? I was trying to decipher this. You know, is she rubbing it in like, haha, whether you like it or not, I'm going to be your president. So if you don't like it, just shove it. Um, is she saying, well, you know, in, in kind of an earnest way, I want you to come to see me as your president, even if you disagree. She's not saying that. You know, I, I don't know about Donald Trump making the comment that she has hate in her heart, but I don't see her as somebody who earnestly wants to have respect from me and she wants to show someone like me respect. She doesn't care about someone like me who has a very principled objection to her, her corruption, and her agenda. Uh, so what is it? I, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, well, there is a chance that we're going to have maybe the lowest voter turnout ever in this election because people are, I think a lot of people are disheartened by the fact that this is the choice that we have, the choice between these two. And maybe she realizes that even if she happens to win among this low turnout of voters that she's going to get, it's not going to be anything like a mandate for her to get anything done. She's not going to be able to go to Congress, for example, and pressure them and say, look, the people have spoken. They want me. Therefore, you should pass my agenda. And maybe she's speaking to that. So it's hard for me to figure it out. So here in the chat room, I'm going to go over and see what your reactions here. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we're talking about our little exchanges in Twitter about, about Trump. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be president. People tell me, smart people. Okay. Actually, Jay, I, I saw that of yours, but it was actually somebody else who was calling me explicitly on the idea that there is no condensation because there is no unified approach. 
Uh, Jay says that maybe Trump is trying to hypnotize people. It's possible. It could. Uh, and, and he's a sad San Antonian, says Jay in the chat room. I, I definitely feel your pain there. They have been, the Democrats have been trying to turn your state blue for I don't know how long. Jonathan in the chat room says there are two ways of changing the establishment, either by being better or being worse, end quote. That was a quote from Ayn Rand as told by Leonard Peikoff. And it's certainly we've got people who are worse. Just Jean says Hillary Clinton will not be my president. No. And, and that's, you know, one thing that we can send a message out loud and clear as and when she is elected, it looks most likely like it's going to be her. Someone was throwing around a stat that there's only 15% chance of Donald Trump winning this election. And that if you really think you want to stop Hillary Clinton and you think that, you know, preventing her from getting to the 270 electoral votes that she needed to do it, uh, then that's really the only way to go. Can we really do it? John says, I don't see Congress being much of an obstacle for her, even if it is Republican controlled, the the Republicans have committed suicide. Yeah, there's that, too. I it's no, it is it's. It is very disheartening out there. Let me go over to the switchboard, and I do have a call. I want to go ahead and grab it. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello, Amy. This is Waldo. Waldo, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I'm calling since uh, (laughs) you requested someone to help you out a little bit uh, since you haven't got a lot of notes today. So I well, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've got notes, <laughs> I've got notes, but what, I, what I'm interested in, in hearing from you guys, you know, I kind of gave you my rundown of, of actual substantive points that stood out for me with regard to Hillary's agenda, because there wasn't a whole ton of that last night. They kind of went back and forth on all the horrible yeah, scandals I mean, I, and everything. I think that they would, they would, yeah, they focused on the scandals. And I mean, the moderators also were trying to like, uh, get a rise out of them, like, oh, he said this about what you said, and mm-hmm. then they just run with it instead of actually talking about the issues. They just, like, vaguely say, well, my plan would make things better than her plan or vice versa, instead of actually saying what the plan entailed. Like, at one point, Donald Trump uh, made a point of talking about health care, and he talked about how health insurance uh, companies cannot cross state lines and how that can cause a lack of competition, which causes rising costs in health insurance. And right. But he sort of like then trailed off into something else instead of elaborating on what the platform actually is. I mean, other than let's say he eliminates uh, the the lines and then the companies can cross them, but he doesn't like elaborate like, oh, well, what else? Don't you talk about how employers pay for uh, your health insurance so, and that causes uh, a difference between people getting health insurance through their employer or just buying it on their own. It's, right. It's, so there's so many other factors that I'm like, okay, you get a point Trump for saying that the state lines is a problem, but then you don't elaborate at all on what exactly your platform is on changing this for the positive. Right. Um, and, and, you know, he was, he was similarly disappointing 
on the issue of energy, I was listening to his answer in regard to that question about, you know, what are you going to do about energy? Uh, he didn't mention fracking and talk about how it is fracking that is largely responsible for us being energy independent, that it's largely responsible for doing that despite the Democrats and what they've done, a Barack Obama, what he's done. And, um, you know, the other thing is that he would sit there and talk about, well, I'm for wind and solar too, but he, what does that mean? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, you know, let wind and solar try to compete in the marketplace. Good luck versus let's have government investment in so-called alternative energy, wind and solar. He threw out clean coal out there. You know, he actually uh, mentioned it as if there's something promising about it. I've recently read that clean coal is a sham. It's also kind of a debacle that our government has invested in and that it's not really true. It doesn't mean you should get rid of coal entirely, right? Maybe coal is something that we still need to keep, you know, as part of our market, but let the market decide this. And he never had that sort of principled answer as to let's, you know, he he did say let's free up some things, but in terms of letting the market decide energy is going to be supplied out there, he never said it or or defending fossil fuels. Between Trump and Hillary Clinton, they both don't have a problem that government cannot solve. Like, even though Trump acts like he is not a politician or he came in from outside of politics and he's going to shake things up or whatever, no matter what question gets asked to these two, they will always say, oh, we can do something, the government can do something about that and make it more fair or make a better deal or whatever. They never answer, like, this is something that should not be in the sphere of government. It should be... um, in private hands, and that can solve the problem. That's never the answer. So right. no matter. What, so if they get asked about energy, instead of saying, like you said, well, let the free market decide what's the more efficient energy, and that can, uh, instead of forcing whether you should use one type of energy versus another, they, they would never answer that. Like the government has to tell you what the right kind of energy is for you to use. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the government is smarter than you and the government can figure this out as opposed to letting the market decide which form of energy is is actually going to win out. I mean, it has been great. There was an article that I shared as part of program notes several weeks ago, I believe. The Saudis have been struggling because of the low price of oil and the low price of oil has been due because, you know, we have been flooding the market more with oil as well. And OPEC is having to cut back on its production uh, in order to try to bring the prices up. But I think that they are floundering and we want them to continue to flounder. We don't want to be dependent on the oil from the Middle East. And I, I'm certainly not convinced that Hillary's going to uh, make that situation any better. She's going to probably make it worse, but it was, you know, Trump just doesn't have a principled answer. The other thing where he was on the defensive to some extent, and he didn't have a good principled answer was the issue of whether he paid taxes in the last 20 years because he had written off this huge loss, right? Um, He could have used that as an opportunity to distinguish himself. Now he did say, right, he made the one point, it was, you know, you too, uh, too quickly or whatever is the uh, kind of, you know, fall- fallacious 
name or whatever for what he's doing. But, you know, Hillary says you didn't pay taxes. And then he says, well, your donors don't pay taxes because of losses they write off either. He didn't defend it, right? I mean, he could have even said things that he said in prior debates where it is the law that if you have this loss, therefore you can write it off for X number of years, and all I'm doing is right. taking he, advantage he of the law. Have, right? He should have definitely taken that opportunity to say something about the tax code and say, I wasn't there to write the tax code. The tax code was written this way, and uh, anyone who pays taxes uses the tax code to to pay, and if there's an exception, they use it. And then he could have, like, used that to maybe roll into, like, oh, reforming the tax code, simplifying it so that um, every, uh, whatever the case, like, there are less loopholes, but it's, like, simplify, maybe not say the word loopholes, but, like, simplify the tax code and then lower taxes along with it, like, give it, make it, like, a whole conceptual right. package of lowering taxes and simplifying the code so that uh, if you, if you know, the number, like, it's very simple. You're, if you make X amount of money, your taxes are X, and that's it. There's no right. exceptions. Yeah. There's no anything. Now, the, the so, problem, the problem with him, though, is that he doesn't want to make it that simple. That's not part of his agenda. That was part true. of Ted Cruz's <laughs> agenda. So, so he can't really speak that way, right? But there are a couple of things that he could have said. Uh, one of the things he could have talked about is that everybody always forgets in the discussion of taxes that the money is the money of the person who has produced the wealth. Now, can you talk about Donald Trump having produced wealth? We could have that debate. But if you know he lost a billion dollars and then he ends up having a whole bunch of income over – sorry, I just knocked over a water bottle on my table here. Um, I mean, not – it was empty, so don't worry. Um, sorry. Little um, <laughs> little backstory radio here. So, uh, yeah, so, so Trump, you know, if he is producing wealth and earning income over the years after that, he should be able to at least write off the loss. I mean, let's start talking about taxation as theft, right? He's not doing anything close to that. He is allowing Hillary Clinton to take the moral high ground by saying all that stuff she did about he paid no taxes to help our veterans and our children and the, you know, all the stupid altruistic stuff that they talk about that it's your duty to pay taxes. And I'm sorry, the government forces us to pay taxes that's why we pay taxes. There is no moral duty for you to give money to other people. Our government right now is run on the premise that you have a moral duty to sacrifice yourself for other people. And the vehicle for that sacrifice right now is all too often the tax code. Uh, it's also now your health insurance premiums and everything else, right? Get us started here. But, um, you know, the idea that he just allows her to take the moral high ground on the issue of taxes, that he doesn't at least defend himself to the, you know, the extent that he did before when people were talking about you use the bankruptcy laws, right? And, you know, here's where he's actually got a moral prerogative where he could say, look, if I earn money, I'm entitled to keep that money if the law allows me to do so, right? But instead, he is allowing Hillary Clinton to take the moral high ground. And, you know, then the other thing, if he was, 
he, if he was really ambitious, he'll never do this. But if he was really ambitious, he could give my spiel, right? And the, my spiel about taxes is that you should never pay a penny more than the law requires of you. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, the national debt, it's going to be 20 trillion before we, it's not 20 trillion yet, is it, Waldo? Is it 20 trillion? Uh, I, I'm not sure, but it's at least higher than 18 trillion. So two yeah, trillion more we know it seems like uh, nothing at this point. <laughs> nothing at the rate so. that Barack Obama and all those politicians are, are spending, right? So, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to write an extra check and help pay down the national debt. And I liken that to being an enabler with a drug addict that unless and until you have you know, fairly firmly entrenched in politics, politicians who have changed their ways with regard to government spending, who have changed their ways with regard to the size and scope of government, who have in place a transition program from how we get to where we are, from where we are to a place where the government is spending only on the things that it should, on the protection of individual rights. Until that exists, the idea of helping the government to pay down the national debt by paying extra in taxes is immoral. It's not just like this optional thing. You say, oh, I've got this money lying around. You know, it's a matter of private charity. Hey, I just want to help my country. Right now, if you help pay down the national debt by voluntarily paying more than you owe, I would say that you are actually contributing to the destruction of this country. And I would love to see somebody like Donald Trump. I mean, he's supposedly got the chutzpah to say stuff like this, right? But right. He I mean, but the thing is that even if everyone in this country decided to, oh, I want to help pay down the debt, I'm going to, and let's say right now or in a year, $20 trillion gets thrown into the government to pay off the debt, <laughs> then it starts right. all over again anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, because they would not, they would not change their programs. They would not change the entitlement programs. They would not change their spending projections at all. So it, it would just start again. And uh, you know, if it was ten trillion in, in eight years, then eight years is late because of Obama. Then that means that eight years later we'll have ten trillion again in government debt that needs to get paid off. Yep, yep. It's not going anywhere, and. Some people talk about the fact that Donald Trump plans to cut corporate taxes by a huge amount. I think it was reducing it from 35 to 15% and that this would be a big boon for business. And while that is true, I do not see Donald Trump cutting government spending to any significant degree or reducing the size and scope of government. In fact, it would probably grow under him because we have heard him in the past talk about the fact that 20 trillion in debt really isn't wouldn't be that alarming to him if we had airports that didn't look like third world country airports. The the idea of having our government carry a bunch of debt doesn't disturb him. Why? Because the idea of having his businesses carry a bunch of debt never disturbed him. Hey, you could just file bankruptcy. But filing bankruptcy on the scale of an entire nation is a very scary prospect. Yeah, I've so, never heard him mention cutting of government spending and I've only heard him say stuff like he'll renegotiate how much money the government owes to whoever to the creditors or wherever the government is, is taking uh you know wherever it, the money is owed that he somehow renegotiated so the government would owe less than it actually does. Was that's the closest thing he's said to something related 
relating to that, but he's ne- I've never heard him say anything about cutting entitlements or cutting spending. I got a couple things from the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio. John Roberts says the debt is currently 19.64 trillion and counting, so it is really nearly 20 trillion already. Uh, and then Trump is out there criticizing people who supposedly aren't paying enough, enough taxes. So Facebook billionaire, this is a Trump tweet. Facebook billionaire gives up his U.S. citizenship in order to save taxes. I guess 3.8 billion isn't enough for him. This is Trump on Twitter. So you know you could always talk about the hypocrisy of these candidates, but it's not I mean, an total, issue of showing buddy to be hypocrite. Hypocrisy, complete hypocrisy. Because I, Hillary was talking during her one of the questions they asked her, and she said. We want to, uh, the country should elect someone they can be proud of, someone their children can be proud of, and their grandchildren can be proud of for the future of this country, blah, 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 blah. And I thought it was so incredibly hypocritical when she's saying, like, we're doing this for our children and our children's children, and yet we have $20 trillion in debt. When those children grow up, they'll be $60 trillion in debt, and what then? When economic collapse completely destroys everything. What about that that moment? Like they're being completely hypocritical and fooling everyone into thinking that everything's gonna be okay and really you have to vote for me because think of your children and who would be the president and can they respect that you voted for this person, blah blah blah. And well, can you respect that you're voting for someone who's not gonna do absolutely anything about the debt that you're forcing on your children in the future? It's ridiculous. Right. Right. No, it, it, it is horrible. So let's go to this question for you, because I've got this comment from Richard here in the chat room. He says, I cannot discern a rational basis for deciding which is worse. That being so, does it matter which prevails? Whatever the result, we are in trouble. So what's, what's your approach right now, Waldo? Do you think you're going to vote for either of these two on the idea that you have to stop the other one because the other one is so much more evil? Um, I, I, I'm not voting for either of those two candidates, either Trump or Hillary, because they are both, I would argue, evil in one being an ignoramus and the other being completely corrupt and knowing of all the evil things she's done and continues to do them. So I cannot, I could not... If there was anything, I would. If I had children, I would be like, I didn't vote for either of them because they were both so horrible. That I am good conscious. I knew you would not be proud of me if I voted for either of these two horrible people. Right, right. Did you listen to Yaron Brooks' show on voting? How to be rational in voting? He talked about the fact that if one of them is really evil, and then the other one is at least okay then, yeah, you could see, okay, I'll vote for the okay one. You could see for voting for a Mitt Romney in order to stop a Barack Obama, for example. But in this election, you know, voting for a Donald Trump in order to stop a Hillary Clinton or vice versa, it, it doesn't seem justifiable. Let me ask you, because you were talking about that Trump is no good because essentially he's an ignoramus, and it's true. But what do you think about this recent revelation of the lewd comments that he made, as he calls it locker room talk. Is that disturbing to you? Does it make you think that he's not just an ignoramus, but he's really truly a bad person? You know, an ignoramus with no filter is one thing. A bad person is something else. 
so I say Naramus because during his speech, like, there's no way if he ever makes a coherent sentence that, like, when he was talking about healthcare and the uh, health being able to create to cross state lines, I'm like, okay, that is a coherent sentence that makes sense and looks like it's going somewhere. <laughs> it will never right. go anywhere after that sentence. So that's why I say he's an ignoramus. Like, maybe he has one spark and then is, like, insane afterwards. So that's why I say that. In regards to his lewd comments, I can say that I was 100% not surprised about hearing him say anything like that. Sure. I was expecting it, it the whole time. So that changes in no way my opinion of him because I'm like, I'm sure he said something like that at some point. Uh, so that would really definitely, <laughs> I don't know, that, that had like no impact on me. And seeing people make such a big deal out of it, I would much rather them focus on issues than focus on something like, oh, he said this and she said that and or whatever. I, I think well, what, it's a waste about, of people's time. Well, what, what about this, though, right? Because what he was confessing in that recording is that he believed because he had whatever power was accorded to him, the power vested in him by the fact that he was a celebrity and that he was rich, uh, he's going to use that power in order to grab women's crotches and you know whatever else he can get away with and he's hey i can get away with all this if that's what he does with the power of celebrity and money what is he going to do with political power and wouldn't that disturb you well yeah i i do agree that it's disturbing but we sort of mentioned before like that they're both evil so i would even point out on hillary her Clinton Foundation, while she was Secretary of State, took in a, at least a hundred million dollars from foreign governments. Oh yeah, no, uh, and, and, so and no, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to she, say like he's he's so much worse. Obviously, that's not my point. But it was just because when you were talking about why you couldn't vote for either of them, you had talked more about him being an ignoramus than anything else. And I want to say there's reason to say that he is bad right um oh, there's well, also yeah, he, he is evil and an ignoramus i mean you can be both he is, <laughs> he's he's an evil idiot and hillary is an evil genius or whatever because i'm i've no doubt that she knows all the evil things she's doing and all the corrupt things and what she's doing is wrong she does them anyway because she's a power luster and donald trump is an idiot power luster so you know she also knows like oh i have the power so so she know like so donald trump is like oh i can grab a woman um I'm not gonna say the word uh because i am a celebrity like he's like a, the abuse of power what about her abuse of power being secretary of state taking this money and then uh doing things in government in favor of these foreign nations and doing these foreign deals to favor them because they put money into her foundation. It's the same abuse of power. Right. It is. It is. And, you know, I would say that if you are a kind of person who does believe that an issue like abortion, for example, the right of a woman to choose what happens to her own body, if you think that's politically important, I would say that this, you know, confession of Trump that he uses his celebrity as a justification to commit sexual assault on women, that that is something to note, that it's, it is something important. Now, Tim in the chat room, 
He points out, he says, Trump is a known quantity. The recording is not news. He was a Bulgarian from the beginning and not overwhelm- and got overwhelming support, and he won the nomination. Yes, that's true. And, and if, you know, Waldo here, you're saying, too, that you weren't surprised. But at the same time, it shouldn't have been that way. Uh, maybe the hard evidence that he's actually confessing that he goes and commits sexual assault and he thinks he can because he is the guy. Uh, maybe, you know, if that had gotten out there, maybe he wouldn't have gotten the nomination because what do we see now? We see Rince Priebus. You know, I've got links to the stories over at the program notes at the at don'tletitgo.com. Rince Priebus is out. Um, and then Paul Ryan is getting a lot of heat because he refuses to defend Trump on this. And I think rightly so. I do think that this issue of character is, is something that's important. This issue of the treatment of women, the disregard of women's rights is an, an important issue. So, um, so, so now that you're not going to vote for either of those two, are you thinking of Johnson or not? What's your current thoughts on that, Waldo? Oh, yes. I'm still 100% Johnson um, just because his, all, his positions are not terrible. So <laughs> versus yeah, the I other mean, two, you know, and I want my, I want my vote to register as something like I want it to count, not as like, uh, Oh, you didn't vote. Um, right. Like, you, I, like, I, I, I don't want it to count as like, I didn't vote. I want it to count as towards at least something. Well, and so then let's go to, again, I'm sorry, because I think, my my brain wasn't fully registering when I asked you, did you listen to Euron Brooks' show on voting? Did I even let you answer the question, or did I talk over you? Oh, um, I actually don't recall either. I think I heard it, but I, since he has two shows, I sometimes get confused as to which one of the two I've heard. Okay. I usually try to hear both, but sometimes I do miss one and only hear the other one. So this is the one where he was making the argument about Gary Johnson. And I, I really I really like this because, you know, he realizes that we are all in this really tricky situation figuring out how to vote in this election. And he was saying that, you know, we, were t- we talked about Peter Schwartz's argument on this show about Peter Schwartz saying you can't vote for Gary Johnson because, in effect, you are going to help bolster the anarchist element within the Libertarian Party, even if you think you're not, even if Johnson's not an anarchist. Nonetheless, this is still on the platform. It's still essentially what they stand for, and you don't want to promote anarchy. And that has some, you know, element of truth to it. Yaron was saying that he could imagine that if Johnson was a stronger candidate, that if Johnson actually stood for something more than he did, that he could see voting for the libertarian nonetheless, even though there is this risk of helping out the anarchist wing of the libertarian party, he could see doing it if Johnson was just a stronger candidate. Now we could all disagree, you know, about whether Johnson is a strong enough candidate to justify voting for him, whether Johnson takes strong enough positions on core issues enough to justify, you know, putting that vote out there. But the the scary realization that I was coming to after watching last night's debate is that the, you know, taking a stand on a really strong issue, the the really strong issue that might be the most important one in today's context, unfortunately, is simply the character of the candidate. <laughs> that it is 
you've got here a decent guy, as disappointing as he is, you wish he would take stronger positions on certain issues and everything else. I totally agree with that, that he is disappointing in a lot of ways. Nonetheless, he's just a solid stand-up guy. And is it the case that maybe that is enough to justify voting for him despite the danger of, of supporting the Libertarian Party? You know, Does he have to have a wonderful radical program on eliminating entitlements, for example? Or is it enough, this election, for him to just be a decent, qualified candidate who has pretty good positions on a lot of issues? What do you think? So I I think we've reached a point of giving the executive branch so much power and being able to create regulations and committees and groups that control economy and what we can do in our private lives. You know, things that should be really laws that are written in Congress have been delegated by the Congress to the executive branch uh, during Obama years, during Bush years, it's finally culminated to this point that people are so worried who the next president is going to be because that person now has the most power that a president has ever had in the history of right. the United States. So yes. it's really a culmination of that, and that is very scary. And I think it's like it's sort of like, brother, you asked for it. Like you've all been pushing for this because when a, when someone's a Democrat and a Democrat becomes a president, then they say, oh, he should be able to do everything. And when a Republican gets into power, the Republicans say he should be able to do everything. And then slowly the limits are, are being let go of. The Congress right now does nothing and just agrees to whatever the president wants and whatever committee right. he wants to create. So I think on the basis of that, Gary Johnson is the best candidate because he would be the only one who would not abuse the power. He would be the only one who would use any sort of restraint in right. what to do and what not to do. Everyone else is like either Hillary or Trump is, we'll do everything. We'll, because, again, they don't think there's a problem that government cannot solve. So yes. that is why I think it is important to vote for Gary Johnson. And and I think that there is a strong argument for agreeing with that. I am not myself 100% set on voting for Gary Johnson. And I don't just do this as a way to keep people tuned in week after week. Is she really going to decide <laughs> to vote for him or not? I am truly not decided about what I'm going to do come election day. Tim Peck here in the chat room is giving a, a response to just Jean. Just Jean says, Gary Johnson, not evil. And it may actually be the case that voting for somebody who is qualified, decently qualified, right? He's got that executive experience along with his running mate, Bill Weld, not evil, decently qualified. That might be enough to make that big statement. This this election cycle in today's context, yeah, we'd love him to take better positions. Uh, but Tim says, no, yeah, he's not evil. He's not evil, but he's just a goofy, blitzed, empty suit. <laughs> Sometimes he does come across as a goofy blitz empty suit. I will admit that that is true. I think that's, uh, uh, is Jill Stein evil? No, Jill Stein's not evil. Why are we not voting for Jill Stein? I guess that would be a, a good question to ask as well. Tim asked that question. Uh, so why do we want to vote for him? He's got some decent positions. Let me give you one issue. And it's actually being mentioned here in the chat room. Uh, one issue where I think Johnson does take a fairly radical stand. Uh, you've gone over, I assume, Waldo, to... Johnson's 
website where he talks about the different positions on different issues, right? Yes, I saw it a while back. Right. So um, there is one issue that he doesn't talk about very often, but it is a very, very important issue, and it's the issue of government schools. And if I recall correctly, Johnson says he wants to eliminate the Federal Department of Education. Yes, I actually. Yeah, he might actually be somebody who would do that. Imagine if people voted for Johnson, and then if you happen to be asked why you're voting for Johnson or if you want to put out on social media why you're voting for Johnson, what if you vote for Johnson because he wants to eliminate the Department of Education? And you put it out there that that's why you're voting for him. In fact, that is one you know fairly radical position that if he went out there and trumpeted it, maybe even your own Brooke could get excited about Gary Johnson because taking a substantial step towards eliminating, eliminating the government influence over education would be tremendous in, in terms of helping to save the country. And the reason that I'm you know bringing this up in part. I've got Richard in the chat room. I think he's a a new participant in the chat room. I may have seen his name in here before, but thanks, Richard, for participating here. He says that the present debacle is the proud result of government schools. We have government schools destroying the ability to think of people, and then we get these candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, as a result of decades of government mind-numbing and... uh, mind corrupting. So, you know, imagine if we voted for Johnson and maybe you said, okay, well, he's not evil because that is one actual real thing that's in his favor this year, unfortunately. <laughs> it, it should never be that way. It should never be that way. That, oh, he's not evil, but that's true. He's not, he's not, he's not evil. Um, and he wants to eliminate the Department of Education. Those are two strong things in in his favor. There are some other things that he wants to do too. I think the idea of cutting government and, you know, Yaron was talking about all that Johnson says he wants to do is eliminate waste and fraud. I think to be fair to Johnson, you have to acknowledge that he has more plans for cutting spending than just eliminating waste and fraud. Even he knows that it is impossible to cut 20% from our budget by eliminating only waste and fraud. He wants to cut whole things just like the Department of Education. But you know, you, you need sound bites, right, when you're out there saying why you vote yeah, for somebody. Yeah, the problem is that he doesn't um I mean I I have not seen every single interview with Gary Johnson or every single thing he does, but each one that I actually do see, he is not very specific. He almost says like, yeah, we're gonna cut government spending and um, waste. And like, but he doesn't like go further. And I mean, I'm sure that on he needs website, to go further. More he is an incredibly, he's an incredibly disappointing he, candidate. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, and like, I've seen a lot of memes of Gary Johnson and a lot of them that seem like the official memes instead of like, uh, you know, supporter created memes, like the official memes look like he just compares himself to the other two. And it's like, look at those other two, both for me. I mean, like, are you looking at them? Are you really looking at them? them? Okay. Now look at me. Like, both. you know, instead of like saying like, like you said, that position about schools, uh, about eliminating the department of education, like, okay, that's great. I agree 100%. It should be eliminated. Now, like give, give the people the reason why, because to us, it seems obvious. And to him, it might seem obvious why, but he needs to explain it to people who would not 
see it as obvious. They might see it as a bad thing. So he really needs to work on, on like, I think Jaron had it right. But, like, you need to educate the people. You need to, like, get convinced them to join your side. You can't assume that you're, you're obvious, like, that what you're saying is obvious. Because it isn't to a lot of people. Because, like you said, of the education they've received in school and the way they've been taught to think about things. Right. Or taught to not think at all and just go along with what the group tells them that they should. The group is all important in progressive education. So that's kind of, this has been a long discussion. I, I thank you, Waldo, for, for calling in and, and going through it with me. But you get you get the idea of why there's a lot to consider in deciding whether to even vote for Gary Johnson versus just abstaining, right? Because if people abstain, that is, as Jerome reminded us, making a statement in and of itself. And what it would be good to see is Hillary Clinton, yeah, maybe she's going to win, but suppose that she wins only in an election with the lowest voter turnout in history. That in and of itself could be a very damning statement. It could be, you know, given that it's going to be Hillary Clinton anyway, what is the way that we can make the best the statement about the fact everyone. that this is unacceptable. Yeah, she'll be the president for everyone anyway, even <laughs> like though, even you know, only voting. 20% of the population votes for her or whatever, you know? <laughs> exactly. So I don't think that would stop her. I don't think, she, I don't think she'd care even then because she'd spin it some other way for uh, to benefit her position. Uh, and, you know, the Republicans are so pathetic that they just agree to anything she says. Uh, even if they might like t- like act like they don't agree or tell the media like oh we disagree with this and that but then as soon as the legislation comes by from the president's office they'll just be like sure we'll sign that it's increase the deficit sure we'll sign that like it's all a joke at this point right sad joke I agree I agree thanks Waldo for calling I'm gonna jump over to program notes because I got a bunch of stuff but I appreciate you. Uh, bouncing off me for this long period of time, and we'll talk again, okay? Sure, it was a pleasure. Have a great day, Amy. You too. Take care. Okay, so over in the chat room, we've got John saying, vote for Johnson. He is incredibly disappointing, but he's not evil. Uh, yeah, he's disappointing. I wouldn't put that in my little endorsement, but, you know, he's not evil. That That is saying something this election, unfortunately. And then there are these policy positions that he should make more of. Just Gene is reminding us, didn't he also say he wants to eliminate the IRS? I believe that that also is true. Imagine you have a Johnson who has common ground with a Senator Ted Cruz, who is one of the prime movers in the Senate, and maybe you could work them together and get something actually done on a couple of these substantive issues. Johnson would be excellent on Obamacare. I, why can't he get a little more principled in that and push accordingly? Surely a President Johnson would sign the repeal bill if it was put to him by Republicans. So there are some things, but you know, Johnson, I agree with Huron Brook that Johnson is not trumpeting even the positions that he does hold that could make a big difference. You know, again, if, if a lot of us understand that government progressive education is at least a huge part of what has gotten us in this position where we are stuck with this Morton's fork, as my friend educated me, it's not a Hobson's choice, it's a Morton's fork that we have between 
Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, if it's education, government education that has gotten us here, wouldn't a candidate who is proudly trumpeting his intent to eliminate the Department of Education, the whole federal Department of Education, that would be something. That is standing for something. He stands for that. It was on his website. Why not go out and trumpet it more? I'm using the word trumpet, and there's Trump in the election. I'm sure that's a Freudian slip. It's unfortunate, but I couldn't think of a – let's broadcast it. Let's scream it from the rooftops loud and wide. But Gary Johnson doesn't seem to do that. Maybe I want to try to invite him on this show to talk specifically about things like that and maybe try to encourage him in the remaining few weeks to to go out there and loudly stand for those things. It's not enough to just be not evil. It's not enough to just be the ex-Republican governors from the Democrat states. A lot of what he says I find, of course, very heartening. I've got the statement uh, from Gary Johnson reacting to last night's debate, and what he says in this statement is true. He says, you know, we have fallen through the looking glass thanks to two candidates who are each running on a platform of not being the other. We are in historically uninspiring territory. So Johnson gets it, right? He is revealing what it is that we feel, but he's not going that extra step and providing the, you know, what he really needs to do to inspire people. Ted Cruz, he would get this. I can't believe Ted Cruz came through with that last minute endorsement of Trump just before Trump falls off the cliff, basically. How unfortunate. Uh, But, you know, Cruz had some specific policy positions that some of us found quite inspiring. Cruz understands freedom of expression, for example, wants to fully repeal Obamacare. There's some things that got us excited. And yeah, Johnson needs to get us excited. And he could get us excited about eliminating the IRS. That was another thing of Ted Cruz that got people excited. The IRS is being used right now to cripple freedom of expression. Johnson himself is a, is a strong proponent of freedom of expression. Let's go ahead and keep pushing that. Let's push, most of all, getting rid of that Federal Department of Education, getting rid of the IRS. Because it is true. You know, he says Americans deserve candidates who are not embarrassments who aren't interested in pitting Americans against one another and who've actually proven that they can lead with principle nonpartisanship and a singular purpose of giving Americans the opportunity to improve their lives, be safe and be free. End quote from Gary Johnson. This is good stuff. Be safe, he puts in there. Those of you who think he's going to be horrible on foreign policy and terrorism. He knows that safety is important and he's talked about specific things that he would do, but he hasn't, you know, been really emphasizing his strengths the way that he could. And that's why so many of us do find him disappointing. Let me jump over to the chat room here. Gridlock is our friend. There can be only so much gridlock that can hold the, you know, it's it's like a dam, you know, that's trying to hold back this huge flood. It can only do so well for so long. And if we are really talking about decades of democratic rule. I I resist using the word rule because we shouldn't have rulers in this country, but a democratic presidency, democratic political leadership. I don't even like to use the word leadership with respect to the Democrats. It's like democratic enslavement. We're going to have decades of that. It is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. So what I have to do, don't let me forget to do this, is talk about 
you know, what is the strategy for surviving that. But let me get over to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, and just talk about some of the program notes there. It's not that I really want to go through a lot of this in detail, but just give you give you some highlights or lowlights as appropriate. There is that piece from New York Times, the analysis about we have this bitter personal you know, personal terms debate that was conducted. And everybody does seem to see this as the low point in American politics that it is. Trump brought Bill Clinton accusers to the St. Louis debate. He had that zinger of a line where, you know, his locker room talk is just talk, but Bill Clinton did the actions. It's a story to some extent. It's also a story to some extent that Hillary Clinton herself was hypocritical in the way that she dealt with Bill Clinton's accusers, in particular Paula Jones, right? Because Paula Jones was accusing Bill Clinton of sexual assault along the lines, not full rape, but sexual assault. And, you know, Hillary Clinton has said in the past that rapists should be believed. There's a friend of mine uh, who reminded me in the discussion about this last night. Um, You know, Hillary Clinton had said that rapist should be believed. And she actually had that statement on her campaign website and at one point scrapped it. Why? Because she herself spent a lot of her time trying to discredit those people who accused Bill Clinton of either infidelity or sexual assault. So here you have, you know, Bill Clinton's accusers being brought to the debate. You have Hillary Clinton, the story about how, you know, she dealt with Clinton's infidelity and the accusers and such. That's all out there. The other thing that we're going to have to watch in the coming days, which I had no ability to even really skim the surface of, is the Podesta emails, right? Podesta is the head of the Hillary Clinton campaign. His emails have been released, a bunch of his emails by WikiLeaks. Part two of the dump of his emails is out there today. And one of the things talks about there was a staffer who was driven to the point of suicide by the things that were going on under the Clintons, et cetera. Is there going to be a true smoking gun that will actually stick to Teflon Hillary, as some people talk about it? I'm predicting probably not. But, you know, do we know yet? A lot of the major news websites or alternative media websites as well are asking their readers, you know, go through and try to dig through these emails. There's a bunch of junk, you know, try to get the wheat from the chaff is going to be tough. I saw some of the emails were, you know, new deal on travel excursions or what, you know, I mean, there's the junk mail in there with the substantive stuff and and people are going to have to sift through it. And that's something that's going to happen in the coming days. If you have resources to sift through, go ahead. I've put the link to the Podesta dump like 50 website pages or no, it's like 80 website pages of 50 emails each. It's something like that. And you can find that at don'tletitgo.com, the links to that and everything else. We've got Rince Priebus abandoning the sinking ship of the Trump campaign. Because of course, Trump is chosen as a Republican party nominee and Paul Ryan coming under heat because he will not defend Donald Trump. Imagine that you wouldn't defend Donald Trump. I, you know, it, it's very awkward to have to defend Donald Trump in a context like this. So check out all of those links at don't let it go. 
com. Don't let it go.com if you are interested in, in that. I'm going to talk about the one last link over there, CNN, potentially coaching the focus group, the debate focus group. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm back over here at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. Memwill. I don't know if that's how I'm supposed to pronounce the handle for this listener over in the in the chat room says we need cultural gridlock too. The culture wars are raging. We need some time to fight the alt right. That is true. We do need some time to fight the alt right. Speaking of the alt right, I wanted to read you read to you from a Facebook post. And I think I've lost the post here for a minute. Oh no, here it is. Here it is. I've got it. A friend of mine posted this, but it was posted by somebody else, and and my friend who posted it posted it and shared it with only friends, so I can't share it publicly by linking to it. But there is a local paper called The Advocate, and I don't know where the locality is. Maybe it's in North Carolina somewhere, but uh, they say this is exactly how most of us feel about Trump. Uh, this the, the original poster, his name is Bill War L., that's probably not a real name. I don't know. Bill, Second World War, W-A-R, and then E-L-L. He says, the media just doesn't get it. They can't believe that people are so angry that they can no longer be manipulated. The people can no longer be manipulated, this guy says. He says, millions of Trump supporters feel this way about Donald Trump. He says, millions. And here's the quotation about you know telling you how all these millions of supporters of Trump feel. They say, we don't care if the guy swears or how many times he's been married, or who he's voted for, or what his income tax returns shows. We want the problems fixed. Yes, he's an egomaniac, but we don't care. We know he's not a racist, or bad to women, or all the other things the liberal media is trying to label him with. We know he's raised a good family, and that says a lot about him. He says, the country is a mess because politicians suck. The Republican Party is two-faced and gutless, And illegals are everywhere, and Muslims are openly trying to hurt this country and make the civilized world adjust to them. We want it all fixed. We don't care that Trump is crude. We don't care that he has changed positions. We don't care that he fights with Megyn Kelly, Rosie O'Donnell, and so many of the elected establishment. And it goes on and on and on, right? And basically what they're saying is we, the Trump supporters, including the alt-right, are here to stay. I'm skipping down quite a bit. It says Americans are no longer going to be fooled. And the movement is out to change the direction we're taking. Trump may not be a saint, but he doesn't have lobbyist money holding him. He doesn't have political correctness restraining him. And all you know is that he's been very successful, a good negotiator, and has built a lot of things. He's flexible, and he's also not a politician. Remember last night he did say he's a politician. He embraced that label last night, by the way. So you can't, Trump supporters, any longer say he's not a politician because he's now calling himself a politician. Okay, back to the statement. Um, The guy says, and and he says he'll fix it, right? He'll fix it. That's part of his whole thing. He'll fix it, and we're just supposed to believe him. So then we believe him because he is too much of an egotist to be proven wrong or looked at and called a liar. They say public service has become elected greed. This may be our only chance to have a non-politician, despite his flaws, and correct the mess at least for four years. We must take the shot because the consequences of putting Hillary Clinton in office are frightening, there's a tidal wave happening, and it's going to overcome much of what's happened to this country, end quote. So they aren't going anywhere. They're going to be very upset if and when, uh, if, when, I would say when, their candidate loses. 
and we may indeed have a cultural war on our hands, as Memwell in the chat room is talking about. We cannot legitimize them. They are the ones who are currently trying to fill the cultural vacuum out there. Jay says he thinks they're transitional. He says, I'm reluctant to label them and alienate them. He says, more people are just looking better for better answers. Um, talking about Milo again. Milo, my boyfriend, my uh, my gay ex-boyfriend or something, right? Who I renounced. <laughs> yeah, he says some good things, but he says some bad things. Previous abandoning and ship, yeah, they want to look at that. Um, so far, people have seen zero Hillary for president yard signs. Yeah, and I think this is the sort of thing that's behind her statement. She wants to be all of our president, even though there's no one who is actually enthusiastically supporting her. Again, everything that we've seen, including that Joss Whedon video, it's geared not towards showing you the you know, great attributes of Hillary Clinton, but instead showing you how terrible and dangerous Trump is. That person is more evil. Everyone is accepting the idea that you're just supposed to vote for the lesser of two evils, and I say no. I say either we're going to abstain. I don't think that either of these people is good enough where you could actually vote, even on the premise of stopping the other. That's my view. You can disagree if you, if you want. But the, uh, the other thing is, what are we going to do? Either abstain, maybe because you think you want to make a statement by having this low voter turnout, or you want to vote for Johnson because you think that Johnson does stand for enough in this election. I have another caller. I'm going to go ahead and take it really quick before I go into kind of my wrap-up statement here in a few. I'm trying to pick it up. I've actually hit the little button over here at the studio. Okay, I think I got it. You're on the air. Who's this? Aloha, it's Stuart. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. So um, what 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 do you what do you think about the dissertation slash rant of today? Yeah, I think that what well, as I told Yarn Brook on his most recent episode, which was about the alt right and mm-hmm. how dangerous it is. I think another reason to support Johnson is that he's a repudiation of the alt right. The alt right is trying to take over all opposition to the left. They want you to think they're the only alternative, and that's why you see the alt right in the form of Alex Jones and Paul Joseph Watson and Lauren Southern trying to smear Johnson and destroy him and say right. he's just a politically correct left-wing guy, and they use their favorite you know, four-letter word, which rhymes with the F word, the other four-letter word. They keep using that, and they use that on anyone who disagrees with them. Yeah. I, I heard that Yaron Brook got just a barrage of hostile Twitter feedback about his most recent episode. So I need to get to that episode and, and listen to it right away. So you make, you make a good point. So it's not just that Gary Johnson is not evil, which in and of itself might be making, unfortunately, a huge statement in today's context. It, and it's not just that he does have some fairly radical positions, even though he doesn't trumpet them loudly enough, right? The, you know, and are we right? Not only does he want to eliminate the Federal Department of Education, but also the IRS? That's correct. He wants uh, the fair tax to replace it. And, you know, of course, I say the only fair tax is no tax. A, a fair True. tax is like saying I'm for a fair tax is like saying I'm for a fair punch in the face. 
Yes. By yes. And we and we all know this. We all know this. But nonetheless, even I think Yaron Brook would accept the fair tax as a fairly substantial step on the way toward that. I mean, there's you know even Yaron Brook if he was running for president today and if he had half a chance of winning, would not say, I'm going to eliminate income taxes in my first term as president, right? He might, he might actually even not say yet that that's the long-term goal, but he, he would, you know, you'd state it as the long-term goal and the fair tax is a respectable step in that direction, yes? Yes, and um, I don't accept the idea that even though Anarchists are no longer the majority in the Libertarian Party. I don't accept the idea that the, the non-anarchists are just pawns, you know, being used by the anarchists as a sort of Trojan horse. It doesn't make sense to me because someone could just as easily say that about the Cato Institute or the Reason Foundation because they still have anarchists at them. But I don't see people, you know, saying, well, that means the non-anarchists are just at the Reason Foundation and Cato are just pawns of the anarchists to put a nice front on the on anarchy so i don't see why that criticism should apply yeah to i mean what you what you could say you know what you could say you know playing devil's advocate again and and again that's an unfortunate expression because it's not devils but you could say that even our so-called libertarian organizations have become more statist over the years right so that what you're seeing in these organizations, whether they're political organizations or think tanks or whatever, is not a principled rejection of anarchy, but instead just the gradual osmosis towards statism that you see in every political and cultural entity in our country. And so, therefore, maybe there is sort of this this Trojan horse effect, whatever. Um, what I did appreciate that Yaron had said during his voting show was that if you could show that Gary Johnson was taking radical enough stands on important issues that it might be worth voting for Gary Johnson, nonetheless, even with the danger of, of that. But now what you're saying is, so not only do we have some stands that he, you know, arguably should go out there and, and talk about more, the IRS and the Department of Education, but also Gary Johnson serves that important function of showing you that there is an alternative to the alt-right, a non-left alternative to the alt-right. And I agree with that, that maybe, you know, the alt-right is such an important movement in terms of a, you know, posing a danger to the future of the United States that we need to support a, you know, somewhat decent alternative to that. Is Gary Johnson that, or, you know, is, the future capitalist party and or objectivism, the thing that we should be pushing. These are things that we could talk about, but, but you, you're saying let's list, let's list that as another one of Gary Johnson's attributes, right, Stuart? Yes. Gary is the alternative to the alternative, right? And I think that, you know, and I do think he's not radical enough, but he's open to that. If you go up to him and talk to him and say, you're being too much of a milquetoast, you should, you know, talk about, you should stress cutting the Department of Education. He's open to that, and he's very different from Ron Paul in that regard. You know, when my problem with Ron Paul is he's so close-minded, and Ron Paul and all of his fans, I mean, their attitude is always, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, you know. But Gary Johnson is willing to talk about these things. He takes criticism, and he has become more, you know, he has become more critical of Sharia, as a direct result of people talking to him about these things. Right. 
And, and, and he listed in that statement the importance of keeping Americans safe as well. And, you know, the, the choice to emphasize safety in that statement, I would, I would take as important as being a departure from what people would expect. From It's like, oh, we're so safe. That's the typical libertarian position, right? Or the, the typical stereotypical libertarian position, the, uh, the cliched caricature of, of libertarian. Ah, we're, we're plenty safe. We don't need to worry about safety. Johnson is actually concerned about safety, and he has talked about it in a, a fairly decent way. Um, so you're still pro-Johnson, you're still promoting Johnson out there? Yes, I am, and I, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm very worried about the alt-right. Um, there was one thing that Yarnbrook didn't mention, that but the, the alt-right is very obsessed with, they say, we need to have more white babies. They say, you know, there are these all these brown-skinned people coming into the U.S., having babies, and they're outbreeding us, and therefore, you know, we should try to outbreed them, and they keep stressing that. It's very as if, as if she, as if sheer numbers of people, apart from intellectual ability, is a you know makes a difference anyway. Um, but you know, and and if you know the fact that somebody's got white skin versus any other kind of skin is a determination of anything. It's so racist and so disgusting. And, 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 and it bothers me that they're outright saying children should be used as pawns. Don't have children because you want to have children, you know, and not, don't have children because you want to raise them and give them a good life. Raise them as a means to an end, which is fighting off uh, these other people. I mean, really. Yeah, and, and there's, you know, no worse way to have kids than thinking that you have to have a child out of some sort of duty to save the world or something. No worse way to set you up and set the kid up for a life of misery, right? Yes. Definitely. Uh, so so thank you, Stuart. Um, anything else before I let you go? And I'm going to go into kind of my closing wrap-up. Oh, that's all. But, but thank you. Mahalo. Mahalo. And we will talk again soon, I am sure. So back over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, and I have that last story. What we need to do is uh, use an expression. I actually know the expression I was going to use is not right, so I'm not going to throw it in here. But we need to kind of keep the context and, and focus on those things that we can because as it stands right now, this could change. Who knows? There's going to be some sort of smoking gun or another October surprise. This election is so bizarre. We don't know what's coming at us next, but... As of now, it looks like Hillary Clinton's going to be our next president. What are the sort of things we need to look at? We need to try as much as possible to preserve freedom of expression, even against those people who would attack it. Uh, we also need to critique the media. The media are supposed to be presenting us with actual objective evidence, right, um, they are not supposed to be giving us, you know, some sort of biased presentation of what's going on out there. If a media outlet, for example, conducts a focus group, which is what CNN did in conjunction with the debate last night, if they have a focus group, then what you should expect from that focus group is that they are asking questions and then the people in the focus group answer the questions, not that they are feeding statements to the focus group. 
the last link that I have on the program notes at don'tletitgo.com is to a daily caller story. Within the daily caller story, they have a link to a YouTube video. I guess I could have linked directly to the YouTube video, but you can see it there. In the little clip, you can hear CNN's Pamela Brown talking to a member of the debate focus group using a phrase about, you know, America is great or something. And she almost whispers it just in advance of her coming on the air and asking a question, you know, what did you take away from Hillary Clinton's statement? And then sure enough, what does the member of the focus group say in a very articulate way and expanding on it and everything else that she was very impressed that Hillary Clinton focused on the fact that America is already great and blah, blah, blah. But you can hear the CNN woman, Pamela Brown, feeding a, you know, prompt to a member of a focus group, telling that person what to focus on in, you know, commenting on Hillary Clinton's performance in the debate. And that is very disturbing. That is very disturbing. I don't know if this also goes on over at Fox News. I mean, I've watched my share of focus groups over at Fox News. If the media is doing that, that is something that needs to be exposed, that we need to have stopped. Uh, What else do we focus on in the next little while? The other things that we've got to focus on in the next little while are um, kind of the long-term battle to save the culture. I've talked on this show in the past about how even though we are going in the wrong direction, right? Even though we are going in the wrong direction that we um, can see that we are accelerating in the right direction. So you can look at things like what Alex Epstein has achieved and you can see that he is out there going to be able to change the culture in the long term. So we're going to have to be focusing on those things over the next four years, eight years, and and maybe beyond in order to survive this. You guys, I'm out of time. Go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to continue the conversation. And I will speak to you Wednesday, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next time.